At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your enduring word, your living word for us today. We thank you for the the reality that your word shows us the future. It shows us the last day. And so in that, you help us to live well now. And I would pray and ask, Father, that your, your spirit today would be at work among us, that he would take this word and that he would shape our lives and conform us to Christ, make us more like Jesus, we pray. Help us this morning as we hear your word, not to, not to be built up with pride and, and seek to self-justify, our, uh, but, but would we be brought low and would we be humble And Father, in seeing your mercy for us in Christ, would we love this world? Would we love others? So work among us, Lord. Strengthen me and help me as I preach. Open the ears and the hearts of all who listen today. But do your work so that Christ is exalted. May he increase and may we decrease this morning. We thank you. We pray this and ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were to know the future, 
with absolute, absolute clarity, absolute certainty. And you would, in knowing the future, know how to experience either eternal happiness or eternal torment. Would it make a difference? Would that knowledge of the future in your life actually make a difference in how you live today? Or maybe I could put it in the, uh, in the terms of uh, Back to the Future 2, right? If you were living in 1985 and could jump ahead to the year 2015 and know that the Cubs won the World Series and then were to go back, how would you live? Like, how would you live with that kind of knowledge and that experience, knowing the future, having the money to do something with that? Wouldn't it kind of change everything? Maybe we need a little bit of a back to the future moment for us here this morning to understand that we do know with clarity and with certainty the last day. And because we know that last day, that that last day will come, should it not impact the way that we live this day, today? We've been in the last six weeks, dealing with this question, or, or at least the title of our series has been laboring around this question, what now? What now? How does life today look in light of the fact of a certain and secure future tomorrow? We've been studying Matthew 24 and 25, which is known as Jesus' Olivet Discourse, his teaching on the Mount of Olives, and his teaching stemmed out of his disciples asking a big question. Their question came from Jesus' big statement. Jesus was with them in the temple, and as they were leaving it for the last time, Jesus told his disciples, guys, look here, not one stone is going to stand upon another. And in their minds, as they, as they thought about that, it just kind of shook everything, and they began to realize that if that happens, doesn't it mean it's the end? If the temple is destroyed, uh, like that's the end of the age, right? It's all done. And so they asked Jesus, tell us, when will these things happen? Give us the understanding of the sign of your, or of your coming and, and what will this will all be. And so Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is Jesus' teaching around that question. Here's what it will look like. Here's what the destruction of that temple will be. And here's the signs of his coming. And Jesus gives this to his disciples. He gives this to us in his word so that we live prepared, so that we live ready, so that we live now, today, in light of tomorrow. And so really the question that, that all boil, it all boils down to is this one here in this text that Jesus lands with. How do, we, how do we live today knowing of that certain future tomorrow? How will the knowledge of the future impact your life and my life today? Now, Jesus dives in here in this last section with taking his disciples and taking us to the last day. He's been helping them think about how to live lives that are prepared and ready for his second coming. You remember Jesus said, no one knows when the Son of Man will come again. So we shouldn't speculate and we shouldn't try and uh, figure out or try and attempt to figure out or, or share like when we think Jesus will come. Just know that he will come again. We'll live lives that are ready and prepared for his second coming. But when that happens, what will it mean? What will it look like for us? Jesus takes us to the last day. So we're going to go on a little bit of a future trip. We're going to do a little time travel. And we're going to go to that last day today and see three important truths that are there for us so that as we return to this day, we know how to live. We know it's important and 
what our lives should look like. Let's, let's take this trip and let's take hold of these three truths that Jesus has about the last day for us. What will this look like? Well, the first truth is this, that we must uh, believe that we must take hold of is the reality that Christ will one day gloriously return. That Jesus himself, in his power, in his glory, in his radiant beauty, will come again and he will return. Here's what Jesus himself says in verse 31. When the Son of Man, not if, so there's not a speculative like maybe he'll show up, maybe not, we're not sure, but a certainty to it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. What the last day promises is that, first of all, Jesus will come again and he will come in his glory he uses, Jesus uses that description of him as the Son of Man, which was taken from, from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man who is presented before the Ancient of Days and given all power and authority and dominion and rulership. That is who Jesus is, and he will come again in that glory as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He will come again with that power. He will come again on that last day, and all the angels with him. It'll be the climax and the conclusion of human history and time. That day will come and he will sit on his glorious throne. The picture here of sitting on the throne is a picture of him sitting in judgment, sitting to make all things right. The king sits on his throne to decree and to rule and to reign. Now, friends, here's the reality. This day is coming. It's it's. Apparent and it is clear in Christian teaching that Jesus Christ will come again and there will be this last day, this last judgment where the king sits on his throne. Are you ready for that day? I mean, it's a certainty. It will come. Jesus will return with his glory, with his angels. He will sit in judgment. But it's important for us to see not only that he will come again and sit on his throne, but you and I will be there as well. Look with me at what he says in verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations, every people, every, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every group, all peoples will be there before his throne. They will be gathered to him before that throne on that day. Think about it this way. I mean, some of us are, are pretty particular and we like to manage our calendars very carefully. We, we know what's on the schedule and what's off the schedule. And yet there is a moment coming in your life where you, you don't know what date it is, but you have an appointment. You will be gathered before the throne of the king. It's on the calendar. Sorry, we don't know when the date is, but it's coming. It's there. All the nations will be gathered before him. And as he gathers all the nations, all peoples, all tongues and tribes, as he's seated on his glorious throne, he begins to separate the peoples. Let's, let's just let this sink in. We will be a part of this moment in the history of the universe. Now, one person will escape it. So, so let's not relegate it to some sort of theo, uh, theoretical thought. Let's not just put it out there, some sort of like, Maybe, let's not ignore it. Let's not be apathetic to it. Let, let's put it on the calendar in our hearts to say, one day I will stand before the Lord as he sits on his glorious throne. 
As he gathers the nations, then he will begin to separate people, one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This day comes, Christ returns, he sits on his throne, gathers the nations before him, and he begins to separate sheep, goats. Jesus here is picking up, he's using a a metaphor to describe the the culture of his day, this nomadic shepherding culture. In the Middle East, sheep and goats were often pastured, they were often in the flock together, mixed flocks the sheep generally had, some scholars say the sheep, the sheep were generally lighter in color than goats, but, but not predominantly as white as they are today to us. And so, so it would have taken a, a practice eye to distinguish the species. Sheep and goats mixed together, it, it would be hard for the shepherds, or for those who weren't really shepherds, to know which is which. But for the shepherds, the practice ones, they would know, here's the differences. Here's this picture of humanity It's together, and yet there's coming a separation. It's not easy to distinguish who, metaphorically speaking, are the sheep and the goats here in this moment. Even among us, we are in mixed company. But Jesus says that day is coming when there will be a separation. Some on the right, the sheep, as it were, will be on his right, and the goats on his left. And it leads us to ask a question. We'll be there. We'll be there on that day. We will stand before King Jesus on his throne. And he will separate the flock. And so which part of or which flock are you part of? Will you be on his right hand? Will you be on his left hand? Will you be counted, as it were, with the sheep? Or will you be counted with the goats? Now this is coming this last day. And it is a certainty that Jesus, King Jesus, is going to bring it about. He'll separate the nations in the last judgment. He'll come in his glory. And we have to take this truth to heart. It's it's not something we should just dismiss and write off and ignore. Every one of us here and now, every human being from all history, stands before King Jesus as he sits on his throne And notice here there's not multiple groups, there's not four or five different flocks, there's not several different accountings, there's the sheep and the goats. Jesus, all throughout the scriptures, but Jesus in Matthew's gospel in particular, is always talking about two ways, the wise and the foolish, the house built on the rock, the house built on the sand, the narrow road that leads to life, or the wide, broad road that leads to death, the sheep and the goats. And so again, we ask, what flock are you part of? You will come in his glory. This is the first truth that we must embrace to be ready for the last day. He will come again, and he will stand as the judge and the king. But that takes us to a second truth. Okay, if Jesus is coming again and we will all stand before him and, and as it were, humanity will be separated out, those on his right and those on his left, well, how, how do we get into what flock? How do we know what the criteria is for determining whether we're part of the sheep or part of the goats? What's, what's the separating factor in this judgment? Well, this is what Jesus explains in verses 34 to 45. 
Remember, Jesus is the king. He's sitting on his throne. He is judging the nations. This last day is a day of judgment. And the king is right in his decree. He is right in his judgment. He's the king. And so Jesus says, the king then will say to those on his right, and here's, here's how we know the criteria. Here's how we get it. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This first group, the group that's on the right, the sheep, as it were, they're called blessed by the Father. Come, blessed are you by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. They have the heavenly blessing of God upon themselves. Furthermore, they're inheritors. They are given the kingdom of God himself. It has been prepared for them. Jesus said this to his disciples John chapter 14 says, let not your heart be troubled. I am going away and I, I will prepare a place for you. And so here on this last day, he comes again and God says, the king says to, to those on his right, inherit this kingdom which is prepared for you. Before the foundation of the world, it is yours. It is a place where you and I reign together and together forever. Inheriting the kingdom that God has prepared is being seen as a, as a co-regent a co-king with Christ to rule and to reign with him. Now, this declaration in verse 34, it's a, it's a positive judgment. This is the kind of judgment that you want to receive. It's a judgment to life. Christ, Christ says, you're blessed. There's glory for you, eternal life, the kingdom forever and ever. Well, we ask the question, okay, why? Why, why are these groups, why is this group that's on Jesus' right hand, why are they blessed? Why are they brought into the kingdom? Why are they inheriting what God has prepared for them? What happened? Jesus explains this in verses 35 to 36. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, just let the straightforwardness of this passage here, of what Jesus says, hit your heart. Jesus said, the way you lived, the way you, you treated me, you cared for me, you took, you took me in, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you, you gave me drink. When I was sick, you, you, you cared for me. You took care of me. That's it. Straightforward, helpful way to see it, but, but it brings confusion, if you will, to, to those who were standing there on the right. They, they ask a question in verse 37, the righteous will answer him. Again, you have a contrast here, the righteous and the wicked. The righteous answer him and they say, Lord, when, when did we see you? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? I mean, and the question that is just boiled down here is when did, when did we serve the king? How did that happen? What did that look like? Jesus' answer is so helpful, verse 40. And the king. I love how Jesus, again, asserts his royalty. He is the king. He's to be treated as the king. He's to be honored and worshiped as the king. The king answers them. 
And he says, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I mean, they're scratching their head. They're going, well, where did we feed you? What? I don't remember the time that you showed up at my door. Some of you may remember that old Keith Green song, The Sheep and the Goats, which is taken from this passage. Like, he kind of played into that. Like, when did, when did you show up? I would never forget that face. When, when were you there? And Jesus says, I mean, he takes it down to, to earth here, and he says, as you did it to the, one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When they cared for the poor, the sick, the hungry, and the destitute, and the marginalized, and the imprisoned, and the naked, and the exploited, Jesus says they were caring for him, the king, himself. The righteous's solidarity with the weak and feeble and needy of this world is solidarity with Jesus himself. So the kingdom is theirs. Come. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom. Because as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Now think about what Jesus is saying here. He's, he's, he's giving us a very practical, real life, lived out way to walk. To care for the least of these. To serve, to minister, to bless, to care, to be interested in those who are weak and poor and needy and broken among us. It's a judgment that Jesus gives to life. But there's also a judgment that Jesus gives to those on his left. It's a judgment to death. The judgment is there in verse 41. It's first given. He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This isn't a gathering in. This isn't an invitation to come, inherit the kingdom. This is a sending away. Depart from me, out of my presence. Instead of calling them blessed, they're cursed. And they're sent away into the eternal fire of hell. Notice Jesus here. We think of hell as a place where the devil and the demons get to torture and and deal with sinners forever and ever. But Jesus here indicates that hell is a place originally prepared for the devil himself. The devil and his demons, they undergo the same eternal conscious torment forever and ever because of their rebellion against the king. The cursed, the unrighteous here are sent away to this hell. Eternal fire was what the scripture calls it. But why? Why this judgment? Well, it's, it's inverse to the judgment of, that was stated about the righteous. It's about what they did not do. Jesus says there, verse 42, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not welcome me. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison. And you did not visit me. There it is. You didn't do these things for me. You didn't serve and care for me. And again, there's the confusion. There's the response. Well, when? when did we miss, how do we miss you? Verse 44. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, 
When did we not see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? There's a bit of a self-justification here. Like we should be included with the righteous. We should be there. How did we miss that? We don't think we did. We don't seem to get that. And notice Jesus' response. They're trying to say, wait, wait. We couldn't have missed it. We wouldn't have. And he says, he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. As you did not do it for the least of these, as you withheld your hand, as you you were stingy with your resources in your life, as, as you didn't demonstrate generosity and compassion To those who are the weakest and the least, you didn't do it for me. The blessed, they receive kingship because they cared for the least of these. The cursed are cast into hell because they did not care for the least of these. And here's the question that maybe many of us are asking this morning. What is Jesus teaching? I mean, if we, if we take this at face value, and I think we must, what is he saying about how we live our lives? Is, is Jesus perhaps teaching that we are saved by our works? Let's just answer that question biblically this morning. And I want us to hear what Jesus has to say about how we are saved. Because there is no contradiction with Christ. Jesus teaches that we are saved not by our own works, but by believing and trusting in him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Or John 11.25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John concludes his gospel about Jesus and says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The scripture is consistent that we are saved not by what we do, but we are saved by what Jesus has done, and we place our hope and trust in him. Jesus is consistent. We are to believe on him. Our salvation is the result of Jesus' work, his perfect sinless life on our behalf, his sacrificial death for us, and his glorious resurrection for our hope. This is what Jesus has done for us. That's how any human being is saved, only by what Jesus has done. And that's what grace is called. He has done it all. We receive this grace. He gifts this grace to us, but we must receive it. And so how do we receive it? We receive God's grace. We receive what Jesus has done for us by faith. We believe. We trust in him. We're not saved by our works, but but by Jesus' work on our behalf. And we take hold of what he has done through faith. We're rescued not by our works, but by Jesus' work. But what about what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 25? How does, this, how does this work? The reality is that a faith that is real, a faith that truly believes, 
is also a faith that bears fruit. It's a faith that goes to work. It's not a dead faith, but it's a living faith. And so this is the second truth that we must see this morning. It's this, that faith without works is worthless. We, we must believe Jesus. And in believing Jesus and trusting him, that faith does something. It produces fruit. We have to go back to what Jesus is saying here. Faith without works is worthless. Consider it this way. Consider what James, Jesus' brother said in James chapter 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? Oh, I believe, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother, this is what James is talking about here. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, which sounds a lot like the context that Jesus is talking about, right? Naked, hungry. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of, them, one, of you, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You can't just say things and not meet them with action. So James says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. A dead faith is worthless. Faith without works is dead, which means we have to go back to what Jesus says here and to think very clearly and carefully about what he is saying. We are saved by God's grace, which we receive by faith. We trust Jesus alone, but that faith is never alone. It goes to work. It lives itself out. Jesus makes that contrast clear for us. True faith is a life of humility that serves the poor, that serves the destitute, that serves the abused and the abandoned and the stranger and the marginalized and the ostracized and the outcast. Faith looks to Jesus and says, because Jesus, you have done this for me, so I can do it for others. I mean, that's really the, the point of what Jesus has done, right? We are the ones who are spiritually naked. We are the ones who are spiritually sick, yet even dead. We are the ones who are spiritually hungry and thirsty. We are the ones who are spiritually and in every way strangers to God and alienated from him. We are the ones who are in bondage, in prison to our own sin. And Jesus came for us and served us. And as he has done for us, we believed, so we do for his brothers and sisters. So we do for one another. That's what faith really looks like. Seeing what Jesus has done for us and then transferring that and extending that to those who are the least among us in the world. Those who are truly hungry and thirsty and strangers and naked and sick and in prison. This is what faith looks like. This is what faith goes to work doing. And so for the righteous, they're the ones who are believing Jesus and active in the work of the world of caring for the least. Believing in Jesus always changes us. But there's a problem still for us. Because as we think about what Jesus says here, we, we want to justify ourselves. Maybe that's where the, the statement of the, the curse, those who were sent away to hell, really hits home for us because they're trying to figure out 
how'd they miss it? Like, they're trying to justify themselves. Well, we, how, how did we miss this? How, when did we see you sick, Lord? When did we see you hungry? When did we come and visit you in prison? When did we not minister to you? That's how they ask it. There's a self-righteousness and even a, a pharisaicalism among Christians today, even, even within the church, that, that looks for the loopholes and the exemption clauses to justify ourselves out of this. If we just took Jesus at face value here, okay, so he says, the, the blessed are the ones who have loved and served and given of themselves to the least Shouldn't that, shouldn't that be what we do? And the curse are the ones who did not care for and do that? But, but we want to say, well, do I really need to, like, which least of these? Which ones do I really need to serve? We read this and we try and dissect who are the least of these among our culture, among our contest, uh, context. And, and what we as conservative thinking people can do is, is focus on two things. We can either narrow the focus so that we make sure mercy doesn't go to those who don't deserve it. And we say, well, no, we're only going to show mercy and tenderness and care to those who really, really deserve it. We, we narrow the net. Or we want to narrow the focus so that no one will, like, we're afraid of the labels that will get put on us. Oh, if I love those people, if I serve them, if my compassion is big and my mercy is, is big, maybe somebody will call me a social justice warrior. Or they'll say, I'm woke. Or, or heaven help us if they call me a liberal. Just because of the way I love and serve. But the way of Jesus is not to narrow the focus. It's not to be afraid of, of what others will say about us. Or, or be afraid of, making, of, of giving mercy to the person who shouldn't get mercy. The way of Jesus isn't to narrow the nets down. It's to spread the nets of love wide. Who are the least of these? It's the hungry. We don't need to parse this out anyway. It's the hungry. It's the thirsty. It's the sick. It's the naked. It's the stranger, the person we wouldn't want to be with. It's the ones who are imprisoned. That's who we're called to serve. And they're out there. It shouldn't be rocket science for us. The way of Jesus is not to narrow the focus, but to spread the wide net to show love and mercy to anyone who needs it. I mean, what would we really regret if we showed too much mercy? What would, what would we really lose if we displayed unending love? That's the beautiful vision here. That Jesus calls us to go, to care, to show compassion for the least of these in our society and culture, no matter what. If we spread the net wide, we'll hit the target. Our love will land in the right places. But if we're stingy, miserly, we show hard and cold hearts, and we will miss serving Jesus. So let's not spend our time trying to define who the right, hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, and imprisoned people are, and let's just actually serve the real hungry thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, imprisoned. Spread the net of love and mercy wide. Let's take Jesus for his word. Plain and simple. 
Faith without works is worthless. So that's the second truth that we need to hear. The first truth is that Jesus will come again. He will return gloriously. He will sit on his throne. And that faith without works is worthless. And it takes us to a third truth. The truth for the last day is that your faith determines your destination. Now this is again to connect with what Jesus says here as he concludes this teaching. And these, those who who did not love, who did not show mercy, who did not care for the least of these, who did not do it for Jesus, these will go away to eternal punishment. Let's be really clear here again, as Jesus, the king, is really clear. There's eternity in front of us. There's, there's two roads. There's eternal life. And there's eternal death. There's eternal punishment there's eternal joy and bliss. There's not a third road. There's not a holding tank. It's, it's life or death. Jesus is after our hearts here. He wants us to live today in light of tomorrow. So he says that this last day, this last judgment day, those who have spurned Jesus, who haven't served, who have not done to the least of these, they go away to eternal punishment. Hell is forever. But to the righteous, eternal life. You will spend eternity in hell or in heaven because of what you've believed, because of who you've believed. And your faith will work itself out. The final judgment will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. And that separation will be final and eternal. What you believe determines your destination because you believe what you do. That's really where it comes down to. You believe what you do. I can say all day to hundreds of you, I love my wife. But if I go home and mistreat her, I don't love her. You believe what you do. Your faith doesn't show up in what you say or the intellectual property that you have or how much Bible knowledge you know. Your faith shows up in how you live your life and in what you do. The difference between the sheep and the goats here is what they did and didn't do. Or, or to put it this way, our actions reveal our identity. Your faith, if you've trusted Christ, determines your destination and it shows itself out in how you live. Your identity as a righteous one, as one of, who belongs to Jesus, is revealed in what you do. Are your words saying something that your actions are not? Are you living with a miscalculated sense of the judgment? Here's, friends, where I want to mobilize us. First and foremost, to faith. To see what Jesus has done for us. How he has served us. How he has cast the net of mercy wide. His love, his life, his death for us. Everyone can get in on this because of what Jesus has done. So let's believe him. Would you come to him today if you have not? Would you trust him? And then in your faith, in your trusting Jesus, would you, would you go? Would you be on, a, on mission? Would faith go to work? You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of that, live 
following him, live loving the least. This is the distinction. So, so enough talk, if you will, about being righteous. Enough talk about being God's people. More action. Let's get after it. I mean, the problems of our time and our society are not, they're not deficient to a church that loves Jesus and is after him. The, the problem of the orphan and the problem of the abandoned can be met with the church of Jesus Christ. The problem of the hungry and the sick and the poor can be met with the church of Jesus Christ. The problem of the stranger, the problem of the abused and the ostracized, the problem of the marginalized and diminished can be met with the church of Jesus Christ. If we will take him at his word and put our faith to action, Jesus came for every tongue and tribe and people and nation so we should go to the least, to the weakest, to the forgotten, to the neighbor that we want to ignore, to, to the coworker that just boils our blood, to the poor people that we don't want to see, that we drive by. Faith becomes action. We probably need to unlearn some of the things that are tied up with cultural Christianity today that, that are the real Christ. And I think we need to take into account and be more honest with Jesus. He means what he says. So friends, is that merciful lifestyle there? Because it shows a merciful heart that's been transformed by the mercy of Jesus given to you? We've been asking the question for the last seven weeks, what now? How does the future shape today? And if this is the future, that we will stand before the king, we will be separated, he will judge. And this is God's word, and so it is to be believed in every point. How does this future shape our today? Our March 28, 2021. Will we diminish and explain it away? Or will we take Jesus at face value and be people of faith at work. Let's pray. Jesus, give us grace. Give us grace. Build our faith so that it, it's fruitful in every way. That the problems of our society and our time are not met with ignorance and apathy, with disgust, but are met with a, a, a radical compassion, a, a, a wide net of love and mercy that we would be people. Jesus, I, I ask that you would make us people like you so that you might be glorified in all things. May as we look to this last day be changed to live today. Thank you for your grace. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.